Welcome to the comics table. Hey, we're at the comics table. Dinner's served. I'm uh, Tristan Smith. But what if they're having breakfast? What if this is morning time? Uh... Probably no one's going to listen to this ever, so it doesn't matter. Happy lunchtime. You're at the comics table, and we've got a great guest today, Tristan. Yeah, well, we got Patrick Holbert. Hey, he, I'm he Patrick Holbert. He's so humble, he doesn't mention himself. Well, they know us now. And uh, and then, we, yeah, our special guest, uh, Jason Chatfield. Hey, pals. What's the, going on, Jason Chatfield? The illustrious Chatfield? Jason Chatfield. Illustrious. I'll take that. Hysterical. Yeah. Handsome. Wow. Let's not get crazy. Multi-talented. Well, well. Uh, he know. tries. He really gives it his best. I really do. Do you know what? Actually, that's like one of the one of the main. That's one of the like first things that I want to touch on is uh, your balls. He wants to balls. touch on your balls because they're so smooth, you know. And I and and seemingly oiled with with peppermint. Mm-hmm. Um, no, um, from here. So you have you you're you're unique in my in my eyes uh, compared to most comics because you are actually successful in a creative field. Mm-hmm. That's not com- like, well, first of all, to be a comic and be successful in anything at all ever in your life is, is an accomplishment right off the bat. But to also specifically be in, in, a, in like a creative field. Right. Because um, like I, I have a day job and you could say I'm successful in the fact that I make money and I don't hate it. But to you're death. a robot. Beep, bop, boop, boop. Kind of, you know, like ding, it's, ding, it's ding. all like it's all like left brain stuff. You know, it's like not it's not creative. Right. You're on a computer. I, I would you're argue that coding can be very creative. I think. Uh, sure, to an extent, but but I also think that's for people who, who want to bullshit themselves and to think they're doing something creative with it. All right. Well, let's give some context. Jason is a is a an acclaimed cartoonist. Acclaimed. I think I don't know. How, you, you're a cartoonist. Sure. You make your living. I'm just artist. uncomfortable with the Pulitzer Prize of uh, 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 comic strips. Um, uh, tell us about Ginger. <laughs> tell us about the uh, tell us about the comic strip. Are we What's talking about us? Or are we talking about his his strip? What's yeah, we're a couple of gingers. We're a couple of gingers. I was just going to say I'm in illustrious company myself in a room full of two gingers. At the cover of my phone, I know this is an audio podcast, but uh, it just says ginger and proud because I am, though I'm not ginger myself. <laughs> hey, listen, I got a lot of ginger friends. I can talk about gingers. <laughs> I, um, I, I I do represent someone who represents, you know, it's like power gingers. It, it, this guy, Ginger Megs, has been around for 95 years. Started out in 1921. And you've been drawing them the entire time. A it's lot amazing. of moisturizer. And, yeah, I drink a lot of water. See, I'm already, uh, that's already new news to me. So you right. you work on a franchise cartoon, it sounds like. It's called a, a legacy strip. Gotcha. So in the way that Jeff Keane took over Bill Keane's family circus uh-huh. when he, you know, passed on, uh, I took over Ginger Megs when the previous artist died. He asked me about three days before he died if I would take it over. I wow. was 23. Holy shit. Terrified. Uh, so I doubted myself because I was doing editorial political cartoons and I didn't, I knew how to do a comic strip. I just didn't do one. And, uh, then he died and, uh, I was like, oh, well, I guess that's it. I, I did say yes before he died. When I was 23, um, I took over a loft space that, because it was going to be condemned by the city. And so I snagged that. That's, that's what it's I accomplished at 23. Thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our own legacies to continue. <laughs> The difference is with Ginger Megs, if, I mean, to contextualize it, it's like Australia's um, 
Peanuts or or Dennis the Menace or something. Like it's right. it's it, it's the most popular comic strip in Australia. It's been around for so many generations that it's ubiquitous. Everyone knows it's it. It's very popular and very like non-relevant, you know. To- it's it's one of those great things is like it's a classic example of Australia famous. It's like, oh yeah, it's the big any Australian who asks knows who what it is. No one else in the world gives a shit. And it's that's which is hilarious. And great for me because I, you well, know, we, we give a shit. Ginger Megs is the Marmite of the world <laughs> where Calvin and Hobbes is like Reese's peanut butter. Brilliant. There you go. That's nice. I don't know if that's an analogy that works. Um, well, actually, back to your point about him being uh, uh, successful in another world, it's also quite telling that it's a comic strip. Yeah. It's a comedy right. thing that you are successful in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just creative; it's comedically creative. Right, so you're almost you're like halfway there. Well, there are correlations because comedy is comedy, and you write. You're writing. That's you always write deep. for an audience. That is pretty deep, <laughs> <laughs> right? Can we just end the podcast? We're all here? Thanks a lot, guys. It's been really great. I'm comedy out. is comedy. I'm out. <laughs> Comedy's comedy. Uh, <laughs> I the thing is, like, I'm still writing a setup and a beat and a punchline, and you have eight seconds in a newspaper to get someone, and if they don't like it, then you know, they they only tell you if they don't like it. a lot longer than the internet. Eight seconds is editorial cartoons and comic strips. I yeah. think I don't know what you the get internet like two is seconds now. on the internet, something like that. Rough. Well, I mean, people's attention spans are ever decreasing. Have you ever thought of like I don't uh, I don't know if this would be against like the contract of uh, like that you have with like dis- distributors, but mm-hmm. I know that some comic strips put their stuff into like a digital format, and then yeah. they have like. Do you do anything like that? Yeah. So it's on something called Go Comics, which is Universal's, because I'm syndicated through Universal, so they have their own online. Have thing. you thought of this thing that you <laughs> already do? What's crazy I think is that be great. Uh, these corporate conglomerates are crazy. So Universal owns Ginger Megs in Australia. They, they syndicate it. Yeah. They also own, don't they own Conan and and like uh, NBC? Well, I guess they're Conan. Universal. They own the actually yeah. own the universe. It's they the own the whole yeah. universe. But I mean, they also syndicate Garfield and Calvin and Hobbes and that. So it's all one syndicate. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's like that, that is weird. They they syndicate it to thirty four countries. It's in one hundred and twenty papers. They translate it into different languages. So like. Australian colloquialisms, they have one translator who just knows how to equate those. You do know in any story, a syndicate is basically a a group of evil people that (laughs) will murder you. (laughs) What's your day like? Do you wake up in the morning, do sketches in in the sketch? Masturbate. (laughs) (laughs) When you spit on ideas, what's your morning like? This illustrates, if I may, why it's so perfect that you two are doing a podcast. Because when you host together, you are a yin and the yang. It's really fa- you are the yin to Patrick's yang. Tristan's the black side. He's the, the dark black side. spy. You're the white spy. That's and spy racist, spy. And it's it's hilarious because we were hosting together last Thursday. If in I your, may in, digress, yes. In and Tristan's then, absence, Jason and, stepped and the in. week before you and I hosted. Together. And the week before you and I hosted, I filled in for Patrick. And what was interesting was I went positive. I went bright and happy. Uh, against you, <laughs> you're reading a bad review of yourself from Bad Slava, which uh-huh. we can revisit if you want. Uh, and then on Thursday, it, we got double positive. I mean, I'm positive, you're positive, we're happy yeah. and bright. One of us had to go dark, so you started talking about guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you became you know, Tristan. We didn't need other comedians walking out of there singing. Right. You know, we needed people to leave uh, grounded. You have to crush your spirit a little bit so they don't think, you need a they don't think they've made it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that was, sorry, I, I digress. That's a tangent that I just realized when you said, what's my day like? And well, you just said, it, masturbate. Hold on. I got to say, though, too, it's right. interesting to have the both of you together mm-hmm. in the same room because both of you guys are, are friends that I've made through comedy. Right. But, but 
like you know how you have different levels of friends. Like you guys are good enough friends that like I could go out, have a meal, yeah, talk about personal things, feel comfortable doing that. Don't you know you're not neither of you are guys that I feel like if I talk to you about something you would like zone out and be like I just want to talk about my thing, you know. <laughs> um, but or you're also you're also both like you've been very successful. Um, like current, like, I don't want to say that you're not in general, but like, like you, you, you had a period of time where you were working like for MTV and doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and so I consider, and in my mind, that's like a level of success because you were, you had like, you were working on something of some level of notoriety, making, you know, decent living for yourself. And then you have the success of your comic strip. Right. And you know, you're, you're a super handsome guy. We're like professionals. We're better, we're better than your other options. Well, what I'm saying is like, as friends, you're intimidating in the sense that <laughs> I'm like, these are two guys I like very much. You got to step up. Will totally not be my friend at some point when I say something stupid and they're like, I'm out, bro. I mean, I am, I do have a mental clipboard that I just kind of <laughs> keep a score. Uh, and once you dip below a certain level, it's like, eh, don't have time for Tristan. I will admit, uh, and I will get back to your question, I promise. Uh, I will admit that there are certain people who I do find more magnetic than others. I do, I do find myself drawn to than others, particularly comedian. I mean, every comedian has some kind of immediate sympathetic. There's, there's an unspoken shorthand that, that comics have, but some more than others. So both of you, I immediately remember, because you were both hosting... When I start, when I moved to New York, and I remember going, "Oh yeah, these guys, these guys." Like I, we spoke, and I was like, "All right, this guy's great." Yeah, well, because there's such a range. Like there's the comedians yeah. who you would trust uh, hosting your parents at a dinner without you there, totally. and then there's comedians where you're like, "That person would shoot up a school." <laughs> yeah, and the two of you Tristan guys would shoot up a school. Yeah, Tristan's <laughs> definitely more toward the shooter realm, but Jason, I would fucking but, love but when to I shoot send up my a school. Would just be. Ejaculating all over the place, Sh- what, shooting, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in that way. See, the, once again, nobody, we've nobody returned. Hurt, we've know? come full yeah. circle. Back to I like <laughs> back how that's like that's like the darker option. Mm-hmm. Like, look at you going dark instead of actually murdering people. You just You're ejaculate. <laughs> just stop talking just a little bit of jazz. Just jizzle. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, my day is, is different every day. I do have somewhat of a routine, but I have to do one strip for every day of the year. So five. Uh, sorry, six dailies and one Sunday for every week. And the Sundays are the big half-page, three-deck, you know, oh. like 10-panel ones. Um, what do you do for vacation? Uh, well, you you can bank them. Like, you could do 100 strips yeah, so this I can week work if ahead. you want Yeah, so if I want to work ahead, which I just did. I'm going to San Diego Comic-Con for the next week. So I had to do two weeks' worth of strips ahead wow. so that I can do that. What's Otherwise, the most ahead that you can do without quality dipping? Uh, I think 10 weeks. When I start getting a little flabby. You could do 10 wow. weeks ahead? Mm-hmm. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it takes some pretty concerted... I've done it once. It's a pretty concerted effort, but I can do it. I and, know I can do it. Is it like 20-hour days like for oh, a week? Oh, yeah. It's pretty pretty extreme. What's the uh, creative flow for that a job like that? Is I'm assuming you... Like, are there writers? Are you a one-man band? And are you bouncing yeah. ideas off an editor? And then they help you tighten the line? Like, how does... I wish it were a team thing because I like writing with people, but it's a one-man band. I write it, I draw it, I syndicate it, like I send it out to all the papers. Um, the only thing that I don't do is uh, proofread it. I have an editor for that at, at Universal, and Universal always uh, always translate it before they send it out as well. So is I don't a notes translate process? it process? Yeah, there is a notes process. If it if uh, there's an inconsistency or there's something that might be translated or or sort of deemed inappropriate, your general audience you're writing for is 40 to 80, 
and you write for your audience. So you might not think it's necessarily hilarious, but you write for, you know, it's like anything, you write for an audience and you're writing for an audience that would find anything that you would find on sitcom network television at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. That's your TV level of FCC. That's so interesting because you're writing for old geezers on Ginger Megs. Newspaper readers. And then you're coming to comedy rooms trying to get the youngins to laugh. Totally opposite. Is it a different part of your brain? Yeah, I can't write stuff in Ginger Megs that I could ever use in stand-up because they're completely different audiences. I have to imagine, imagine, though, like this is so much your thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And you said you're a one-man band. You do all this stuff. Yeah, I've been doing it for eight years. But... I can't imagine. I can't imagine that if somebody came along and was like, "Yeah, let's write together," you'd be like, "Yeah," you'd be like, "Go oh, fuck yourself." Well, if someone came and said, "Let's write the strip together," now it's so much in my brain, it's yeah. so so muscle memory and and reflexive that I would probably have to just go, "Yeah, nah." Some people have offered a lot. Actually, a lot of gag writers because gag writing is still an industry that that that. It makes money here. But they want to cut, right? They want to cut. Of course they want to cut. Uh, and I just don't have that much to break it up because, I mean, the the drawback of a legacy strip, I mean, the, 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 the I guess the advantage is that people know it and it's been around for a long time. The drawback is you have to give a cut to the trademark holder, so the licenses, which is the original creator's family from 1921, which is now the creator's granddaughter. And you've got to give the previous artist a copyright cut, which is 20%. And then you've got to give the syndicate a cut. So by the end the of it... The syndicate comes and they're with their lead pipes and right. they want their cut. <laughs> they will find you and they will kill you. Where's my ginger money over here? <laughs> so ginger hasn't aged caps. in 90 years. No. And I mean, he's changed in, in looks. And there's a series that I'm drawing and writing right now for the Sunday strips where he time travels back 90 years into his own strip to meet his self, himself in the 1920s. And you see how much he's visually changed, but how much the character is exactly I love that. the same. And I was, he was going to jerk himself off, but the uh, censors <laughs> said that my audience wouldn't like that. So uh, You're in a one track. Have you jerked off yet today? I feel like <laughs> it's uh, all I can think of. Does about. Ginger, uh, uh, does he encounter modern problems now? Like, is he, mm-hmm. is he uh, getting stuck at, in traffic because of Black Lives Matter protests <laughs> or anything? Does, do, do these things come up for him? No, because there's no black people in Australia, Patrick. Uh, they killed them all back when they settled Australia. Uh, how about Aborigines? No, oh, yeah, right. There's, there's a few of those left. Um, it is an interesting kind of thing because you have to not mess around with the essential part of... Like, you're given a writing project, effectively. You're given the characters, the setting, and what you can and can't do and say with them. And then they go, all right, go off and write 365 <laughs> jokes a year. Uh and so he does have a phone now. Like that was a big deal when he got a smartphone. That was like a big mm. thing everyone was writing it about. And Where people opens... like, like up in arms about oh, it. Oh, yeah, they were writing letters in the newspaper like, what's Ginger Meg's doing with a bloody phone? <laughs> <laughs> it was really a big but deal. But it must open up new possibilities mm. for story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I think it's actually a great – because it, it used to be, if you look back over the last 95 years of strips, it kind of – inadvertently captured the zeitgeist of each decade. So how, what people were doing, how they were dressing, how they spoke to each other, the whole vernacular's changed. And the problems are different. Like back in the 20s, he would worry about getting beat up by the school bully and literally beat up like to a pulp and then draw it. It was pretty graphic. Yeah. Uh, now today, you have two weeks of him getting lost in Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, now it's like cyberbullying or you can't draw the violence. You've got to just have like a panel and then the next panel he's upside down in a bin. Like you, could, so there's similar similar problems, 
Um, but they have to be approached differently because you can't draw or, or be seen to be, you know, glorifying bullying. Right. Are there, are there old, you know? or was it always like a very like, um, you know how some of the older comic strips, like if you look into their history, like they're pretty like off color. Super now? racist. Yeah. Oh my God. This is the worst. I mean, I recently going back with the time travel story, I went back and what read everything from 1921 to 1952 and he's calling Japanese people nips. I'm sorry, <laughs> Japanese people. He's calling black people. I don't even know what he's calling black people. He's put on blackface and singing "Mammy." Oh, there's a, there's a all whole the thing. old Looney Tunes, like like a. There's an actual right. Bugs Bunny called yeah. cartoon called like Bugs Bunny nips the nips. Or they something can't like that. Yeah. run that anymore. They oh no, they sure can't. That's hilarious. I went to a Chuck Jones exhibition in a story. You know that moving image museum, and they showed all those old ones that they can't technically broadcast anymore. And there were just, I mean, there was one where apparently he's singing like a black guy or something mm. or he's singing like a something. And they kept it in, but now you have to know the context to know that it's offensive. Right. Well, I, yeah. I, I remember the Looney Tunes. There's always that one character with the, the big round black face right, uh, and huge lips mm-hmm. and the, the singing and the, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, Falcon Lakehorn apparently is also saying boy. Golden boy. Oh, that's, did you guys watch Tom and Jerry? Yeah, of yeah. course. Because yeah. I, I, when even when I was a kid, there was there was still like the mammy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, but they, the, some of them they're they're able to change, and some of them they're like, ah, we just can't put this on air. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. let me ask you this: uh, you, uh, you must have you must have characters and. Hold stories. on, I got to jump in real quick. I know you're yeah. moving on to something else, but I, I think this is an interesting topic as sure. comics. Yeah. And as people who talk about. Um, sometimes edgy mm-hmm. uh, material things that are. How do you feel about preserving the context of history in something like a comic strip or or cartoon, mm-hmm. where they do have something that's off color by today's standards, yeah. but that is representative of the time that it was created. Totally, yeah. And in one way, it's like to completely like whitewash it and erase it. I think maybe um, I think maybe it causes people to miss like how things actually were like. I think if you take some younger generations, they might not realize like, oh, my God, like people thought this way at one point. So maybe maybe when you're thinking about things today, Mm -hmm. think about what context you're like. You don't have that context now. Absolutely. That's yeah. I find that really fascinating in every aspect of media in general. So, I mean, you uh, something that I used to do for, for a long time and I still do a little bit, but I used to do it full time was editorial cartoons and political cartoons are a perfect example of, you know, history books write what was happening but political cartoons capture what people were thinking about what was happening. Mm. And oftentimes it was totally wrong. Like it was way off or it was completely inappropriate, but they didn't have, they didn't know that was within their context. They were completely within their rights to think what they were thinking, Um, whether it's wrong by today's standards or not. So there was a 94 year retrospective that they did in Sydney last year that I flew back down for where they just got the last 94 years of everything Ginger makes. There was a movie, there was all this other stuff they went back over the whole collection and the stuff they actually showed, they they kind of censored it a little bit. They didn't put in some of the stuff that would be deemed offensive, which was a shame because I'm like, well, people should know, kids who are reading it now should know that that was what people used to say and the way people used to talk and yeah. the way you used to think. And so they've kind of, it's like rewritten history by just curating and censoring out the actual, right. you know, and it's Australia like, doesn't have anything else that went back that long to capture those things. 
it's like Huckleberry Finn. You know, there there's versions of that book where the N word is not in there. Yeah, and that's that's horrible. That isn't it? That that level of censorship is is a thing. Like that Reagan, Ronald Reagan, when he was doing that speech, <laughs> he was I think he was presenting a Peabody Award or something, and uh, he's like, uh, you could see that you could. I think Louis even talked about this uh, either was in a bit or in, on O and A or something. He's talking about how you can see in his eyes how. Someone in his staff has clearly told him, please, please, Mr. Reagan, please do not say nigger Jim. Please don't say nigger Jim. And he gets up <laughs> and he goes, and of course, uh, who could forget uh, the story of Huckleberry Finn and his friend uh, Jim. Uh, <laughs> this great beat. He just goes, uh, Jim. And he looks off to the side <laughs> as if to a staff or a speechwriter or someone who says, are you happy now? <laughs> it's on YouTube. You can see it. It's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, comedy is a valid art form and uh, yeah. a, therefore a time capsule of what was going on at the time. Just look at Andrew Dice Clay. Well, it's, yes. just, it's something that, that I get concerned about because I think that... Uh, you have so many good masturbation jokes that need to be preserved. That's I right. mean, in 2027... All, all, ra- all racially oriented, really. <laughs> no, I just think that, you know, I think people should be aware of... The mindset of people in the past, yeah, and not just kind of gloss over it because it's now considered offensive. Totally, um, I think I think offense. I think I think actually, I think offensive material is actually can be really positive and can be really um, um, can be actual soil for growth. Yeah, well, like for, for all the shitty race, uh, like wannabe edgy race bits that we have to sit through at shows and oh mics. Oh my god. Uh, Sometimes, like, like at least we sit in environments where we allow people to talk about it, you know? And, like, I feel like, I feel, I'm grateful that as a comedian, I'm, every night I'm thinking about race in yeah. some different way. I mean, like I said, usually it's not great or that all that interesting, but regular people don't sit around and talk about race the way rooms full of comedians. No, Absolutely. In, in fact, yeah. if anything, like, uh, people won't even talk about... Um, simpler things like I, I've noticed in recent times. Uh, I feel like when I was a kid, people would talk about politics. You know, like they would have like a real, honest to goodness conversation. Didn't matter if you were like liberal or conservative or whatever. Like that was part of the thing. It was like you talk to somebody who thinks differently and you learn something about your own position. And now I feel like people don't won't even have that discussion. Yeah. Like they won't even have a discussion about politics, which is not something that's offensive necessarily, but it's a polarizing yeah issue. Mm-hmm. People don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. Well, this is interesting because in the context of us sitting here talking about it right now, the three of us host comedy shows and comedy mics and have to sit through more comedy than most people, Mm -hmm. than most comics. Like a lot of bad comedy specifically. Really (laughs) difficult to watch comedy. And that's not to undermine people working on comedy because it is something you have to work on for a long time. So you, that's just an essential part of the job. And there's but, just some horrible comics that shouldn't even be coming anymore. Well, there's people who will never end up doing it, who yeah. just have to do it to figure out yeah. that it's not and for them. And that's fine. And that's yeah. just a part of it. But what you watch is people struggling with topics like this and trying to navigate it and completely fucking it up oh, real yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. Like in, uh, the other night... Um, 
Uh, it was like a 4.30 mic, and I had to work out some new stuff. Which I want to clarify. Jason's right. saying 4.30 in the afternoon in New York City, you can go somewhere and get on stage and perform comedy. Seven minutes. Eight minutes, too. It was eight-minute mic. That's kind of an insane... Co- I mean, there's one o'clock mics. In front of three- ten other yeah. comics. Yeah. That- right. It was <laughs> literally... I think it were 13, 14 people in the room. The host, she had just got up and done her set and brought the first comic on. And this was the day after the second shooting with the one that was streamed live on Facebook mm-hmm. yeah. in Minnesota. And uh, it was really raw. I mean, it was that day. And he gets up. I'm not going to say who he is. Uh, he gets up and uh, he goes, listen, look, black lives do matter. And everyone just tensed up. And he goes, but, and then she just went, don't, don't do it. Just don't do it. <laughs> and he went, no, but you know, all lives do matter. And, um, you know, and, and he just went off on this, this kind of a directionless sort of top of the mind, you Mm. know, thing that wasn't funny. There were no, he'd not written a joke. There was nothing comedic about it. It was stream of consciousness and no one was the better for him bringing it up. Right. Or navigating it out loud on a stage. Yeah, you know, but I, I got to say, this is this is actually something that I think maybe you and I have even talked about this recently. Right. right. Um, I think there there's two things to be said from that. Like, one is I would almost see like it's a mic, right? Yeah. So the question is like, wh- like if we're going to try challenging material, like that's probably the place to try it, sure. right? Yeah. But then uh, for some of us, like that's the only kind of comedy we do. So it's like so excruciating to like, oh, I have to sit through this horrible, mm-hmm. like you haven't worked out this joke and it's, it's just really shitty and offensive. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like that's kind of the place to do it. The other thing is like I'd almost rather hear somebody do like really edgy material badly than mm-hmm. – than like I was hosting two back-to-back mics the other day, which is four hours of mics. Yep. And I'm hour three in, and it's on the day when the cops had, you know, killed like two black men, and like, you know, it's just all over the news. People are like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's it's all over the news all all day long. People are like furious about it, and like all the jokes that people were doing were just completely ridiculously stupid. And it was like hour three in. Some guy's doing a thing about the Pillsbury Doughboy shitting dough, and I'm laughing at it because it's so stupid. But then I'm also thinking, you know what? We have an, a platform here where we have four or five minutes, mm-hmm. and we can say whatever we want, yeah, anything we want. And people are choosing to say just all this meaningless garbage that has nothing right. to do with anything, you know? I think if you're going to develop a voice rather than whittle down jokes – then that's a good place to do it because you do need to figure out a voice and a point of view in comedy. It takes a long time to do that. Um, and as you say, on days like that, that's when the you can really find some pretty, pretty like heavy stuff from yourself. You know, yeah. you just kind of really explore stuff. Like I recently rewatched um, American, the Bill Hicks story. Oh, and me I was too. Never, I was never really a big Bill Hicks fan, but then I saw that and was like, holy shit. I yeah. mean, he was doing stuff back then that, I mean, the closest parallel you could find is maybe Richie Pryor or something, you know, um, just that really raw kind of just talking about yeah. stuff that no one really wants to hear. Yeah. Well, the problem is that uh, what we're talking about is writing on stage, essentially, yeah, yeah. and uh, and he wrote expounding on a topic yeah. and from a place of passion. Yeah, and unfortunately, we are uh, we're still in comedy kindergarten <laughs> when we're hosting some of those. Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm including myself in the kindergarten class. 
so we're watching people struggle to even form letters, let mm-hmm. alone writing. Uh, that's a bad metaphor, but you get what no, I'm it's saying. Pretty, it's pretty close, though. I think that's yeah, because you're watching people a figure out stagecraft, timing, voice, um, actual comedic writing, um, engaging with an audience, standing up there and not looking like you're just fucking blinded by headlights. Yeah. You know, there's a whole, you know, trying to put an audience at ease, having a conversation with a room of strangers. There's so much going on in your head up there that you can forgive a lot of stuff. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's, it's a tough thing. It's way harder than it looks. Yeah. Um, and so when people start approaching really, really heavy topics, you know, like race on in a climate like this, yeah. Uh, particularly in New York, which is a which is a microcosm of the planet. I mean, there's every race in the world yeah. here. It is it it can it can uh it can turn a room, I think, sometimes. Yeah. I, I think uh if if I could tell those people any one thing, uh it does like the truth is it doesn't necessarily have to be funny if it's the day after something happened. Just try to make it coherent and interesting. Totally. Because yeah. what we're doing is I'll we're trying to entertain yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah, you'll 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 settle for coherent. Oh, of course. Uh but int- be interesting about it. Yeah. You know? Cuz then it's at least compelling. Sure. I I think uh I think the the uh the the key thing and and for me and anything that you do with comedy is you got to be having fun cuz it is Yeah. I think you know when you get when you get in the grind you forget that it's it's a fun thing. Yeah. And uh and I think if you can remember that and I mean, also, that's like how I think the audience responds well to you is like when you're up there and they can see that you're just having a fun time. Yeah, they give it know? back. Yeah, because yeah. if they yeah, if they feel like you're more serious about it, then they're going to get more serious about it. Yeah. You know? I've never heard people talk more seriously about anything than when comedians talk about comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As silly as we are on stage, we really do take it very seriously behind the scenes. But you know what I the, do? That's I, the comics table thing, man. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. yeah. And Welcome I, to the comics table. I also, I think I end up talking in a way where I like, I think if I say just the right combination of things, uh, it'll somehow control uh, other people that are not me. <laughs> like maybe, maybe I'll say something that somebody can use. That's Meanwhile, great. I don't fucking know what I'm doing. <laughs> Patrick like, hypnosis. Two years in. That's great. Uh, <laughs> how do you keep it fun on stage? How do I keep it fun? Um, I literally have to sometimes, you know, it's almost like a stupid affirmation. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Like if you just say like, hey, I'm having fun. This is fun. Yeah. yeah. Like just say that to yourself. Like this is fun. Yeah. Like remember that? And like because sometimes you just forget about it and you're just like, I want this. This is everything. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you get real serious. And then that and that ups your nerves. And it also yeah. it also people can see that in the tenseness of your attitude. But when you're just like, this is fun. We're gonna go out, and then I'll get up on stage, and people are quiet, and I'm like, like this right here, this goddamn cat over there. I was there just is, there gonna is a include cat. the cat we in, in what you're it. saying. The cat is having mouse. The cat is running all over the place, digging for something. And there's, there's like, I, I, th- I think she thinks there's like goblins in the couch because she's always like <laughs> digging in the couch and flipping around. But she's having a ball. She is having. She's a ball. on there's her actual stage. Couch goblins. She's on her stage. I don't know if she's performing for us or just having fun for herself, but. She uh, she's become the most entertaining thing in the room. You know, Will Ferrell, uh, uh, his audition, like half of his audition uh, for SNL, mm-hmm. he was just being a cat. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think that, is that online now? I don't know if that's yeah, online. Yeah, of course, everything's online now. Okay, online. I remember hearing about that. I did, I've never seen it, but I loved hearing that. Your morning shit is online right now. Right. What's What's the <laughs> scariest thing that you guys are worried about ending up online of you? Oh wow, uh, any set? <laughs> that sex tape with Kim Kardashian. Um, <laughs> Um, that voicemail that uh, me and Taylor recorded. Uh, you know what? I actually had a a moment where something popped up online that I didn't uh, know about yeah. or sanction. Uh, like somebody recorded you. Yeah, it was like a. It was from a show, from like a live performance, like a stage show. And in that show, like I didn't know it was being recorded. And in that show, I was working on stuff, and in working on stuff, I was throwing things out and. And I mentioned something. I think I mentioned someone's name on stage, or I mentioned something on stage that was compromising, and uh, you know, shouldn't have done it anyway. But then it ended up online, and the number one thing I was concerned with was a how to take it down, but b how many people are going to see this? How long is it going to be up there? Yeah, and is this going to come back to haunt me in twenty years? Because I watched it what could. happened to Trevor Noah as soon as he was announced as the Daily Show host, and they're pulling up tweets from twenty oh nine, yeah, twenty oh nine. Yeah, I think you have to like, assume. I think you have to assume. That first of all, when you're performing, yeah, it's always you got to you have to look at it. It's now public domain in the sense that everybody could potentially it could be recorded, mm-hmm. and every and everything that you're saying could be. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, like on one hand, like you do want to give yourself like the mental freedom to like say and think whatever you want, like yeah. especially in a mic, you know, it should and and nobody should be recording you. But like, I've been to a mic with some assholes like in the corner, like recording people like without their permission, yeah, right. And then you're just like, yo, dude, what are you doing? But I mean. That's going to happen, like, yeah. especially at a show. I mean, at a show, yeah, at a like, show, all bets are off. It, yeah. It's all bets are off. Yeah. Um, I, I do see for me, like, I put all my videos of all my shows up online on, on Vimeo. And um, I just started doing that, like, from the get go. And then now I've got, like, you know, 100 videos up there, like, I think with half of which are visible to other people. And, um, uh, you know, there's a certain point where I'm like, I'm going to have to just like, hi- like privatize all of these videos because a lot of this stuff's up there is crappy. It's, mm-hmm. it's re- repeated stuff. And I don't want necessarily as yeah. I get better. I don't want people to see that as, um, uh, what my comedy is necessarily after I've kind of evolved a little bit. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't want any of it out there right now. Cause I feel like I'm not. I'm not who I want to be on stage. Mm. Uh, but you're yeah, still like way better that. than so many people. But uh, I, I did this show. It was a marathon. Uh, it was like a f- seven-day straight sh- variety show. And I did a comedy set on day three at like four in the morning. And they released the whole show on YouTube. It's like a 100-hour YouTube wow. video. Uh and my in-laws fished through it and found my set that I didn't realize they were. I didn't know they were going to do that, but there was a release form. I should have known better to if I didn't want it to be out there to just not uh-huh. do the show. Long story short, uh, it was I performed at three in the morning. I was not on the top of my game. I I was this was in my first year. Yeah. Uh, I talk a lot about my partner in right. my material right. in ways that don't really align with who I am as a person. And eventually I hope to shed all of that material. Mm. Anyway, it was sort of some of the worst stuff my in-laws could have heard me (laughs) saying about their child. Like sexually compromising things. Yeah, a lot of sex, a lot of racism, a lot of uh, self-harm. No, Uh, (laughs) you know, whatever it was, uh, it's just like, God damn it. Like, I don't, the reason you can't, you had to fish through that is because I don't want, 
people to see it yet, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, but that's that's me trying to control things that are bigger than me. Uh, sure. So I think you guys are right. All there bets is a, are off. There is a danger, though. Uh, you're right. I think before you're ready or your voice is is fully formed, because you get one shot really to make a first impression with yeah. comedy. So especially with bookers and stuff, if, the, if you send them a tape, you better... Love that tape. Yeah, yeah. or or it better be represented. You get two two shots, but the second one comes like two or three years later. Yeah, it's like, really you know? tough to get a second shot. And then yeah. and then they still have that other one on their mind, like uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, he better have improved since then because he sucks in my head. Or <laughs> or like, oh, this one's better, but that other one was really sucky. So yeah. still kind of on the fence, you know. Yeah, it's tough too because you you don't know you don't know where you're going. You don't know what you something might snap in your head and your voice might just come out of nowhere. You go, oh wow, I never thought to do it like that. Like there's a guy called Ronnie Cheng who started out in Melbourne. He was a law student and he did the Melbourne Comedy Festival and he was doing spots around the city, but he did. He was kind of a polite Chinese guy and he would talk about you know uh, you know racism and being a student and just about life and these vexations that he had. And then one night he got up. And he just decided to do it angry. And he was this angry, inconsolably rageful Chinese guy. He's Malaysian, but <laughs> Malaysian guy. And it was the funniest thing in the world. He, I mean, he crushed. And he was doing the same material, but he was doing it from this new perspective. And from then, he ended up selling out his entire comedy festival run. They ended up putting him in the town hall, which is like a 2,000-seat venue. Wow. And then he got ma- he got management, he got representation, he got an agent, got a U.S. agent, ended up touring, selling out theaters around the country. And one would argue, oh, he's not ready. But he was such a studious guy realizing, oh, my God, holy crap, this is all happening so fast that he really poured everything he had into this. And now he's a correspondent on the Daily Show. Wow, <laughs> he's you know he's 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 at the RNC this week doing what a story. That's crazy, crazy though, right? But it was this one switch that he yeah. flicked, and it was the magic yeah thing. I know that it's not that for everyone, but that's no, a- everybody's got in a totally different journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which that's yeah. one thing that sucks about comedy. You can't you can't like like take advice from anybody, even successful people, on how to get there because everybody's yeah. journey is so specifically unique. You couldn't you couldn't reproduce it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I was watching um, oh like old Louis C.K. was watching like there's some kind of video online of the progression of him. Yeah, from like when he first started doing comedy and like each year until like until like the late 90s. I've seen all of those videos. <laughs> yeah, and it's like he doesn't <laughs> yeah. he doesn't become like modern Louis C.K. until like about 95. Yeah, so even like a the first, later. like, like ninety six, yeah, ninety seven, like eight, ten years. Yeah, uh, he he was just. Uh, he, he was, was doing just totally silly jokes guy. and gags. Yeah, he was right. just doing these silly gags right. about everyday things. But the thing is, they were working. I was thinking about this because he was doing these silly gags that today would no way fly. No. But he's doing these big shows with it. Yeah. So even somebody but, like that who's like one of the most successful comedians out there yeah. um, couldn't give you advice to like, oh, this is how – because he right. did it in the eighties, and there was like a whole different environment back what, then. What he was doing was writing for what he's he thought his audience wanted and what bookers wanted. So yeah. he was like, "Well, I can't get into a club if I'm writing shit about hating my kids. So I got to write these funny little gags." I mean, he didn't even have kids back then. He was no, like, right? I mean, he he couldn't even speak from the voice that yeah. he had that he developed because he wasn't even there yet. But he, yeah, he wrote these silly little gags and these funny little jokes. If you look them up, they're so silly. You're like, really? People were laughing. And they weren't even getting that good a laugh. They were getting a nice chortle, but not like he does now. Like he's there's a bit that you'll see in his upcoming hour that I've been 
lucky enough to see him work on it at the cellar for the last six months. And it is a masterclass because I saw him bomb for the first time ever. It's a masterclass in watching someone uh, not be precious about their material and work to what they know they're good at. So instead of him writing these little silly gags that he did back in the 90s, now he'll start with this idea, this seedling, and just fucking grow and grow and grow on it. And the laugh he gets now is so different. It comes from such a different place in the audience that at the end of this bit that I don't want to massacre by trying to tell, uh, you'll know it's the time bit. If you ever hear, if you see his next hour, it's the bit about time and why we even call the years what we do. Um, I think I've seen that bit actually because right. I did see him at the cellar. Right. He's, yeah. still, he's been working on that bit for a while. Uh, the laugh is so big that he literally has to stand on stage for 45 seconds to a minute. That's a really fucking long time because they go into this second and then third round of laughter and it's coming from such an uncontrollable place. I've never seen an audience do that. Well, Nowhere. also you can see with all of his stuff, especially like you can see like the growth there because he'll have some bit where he'll use some kind of phrase that like everybody uses to like, Hey, how's it going? And, um, and then, but then he like continues to like play on this. Well, but actually if this was the way that it actually was, yeah, and- he punches it all around like the, Hey, hello. Hey, I'm just going to talk like this now. Right. Yeah. It's a stereotype. It's an offensive stereotype of a of Mexican. A Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> That's just him playing on stage and going, ah, I'll keep that. <laughs> yeah. uh, what was the one about, um, what was the one that ended up talking about? Like it, it, it was like a, like a normal end start that ended up talking about him touching his mother's vagina. Like, <laughs> you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Vaguely. Yeah. I can't remember Jesus. it. Me neither. What a great, what a great thing for listeners now to search for, though. Yeah, <laughs> I well, punch that in. I Google have been just like work. pulling up copyrighted material and just unabashedly <laughs> playing it on the podcast because, I mean, if we actually get to a point where enough people will notice it that they would actually have a problem with that, sure. then that's a good problem to have, I guess. Well, um, Jason's lawyers from Universal, the Universal <laughs> Syndicate, might uh, be listening in. That's right. When oh, I didn't ask you this. Uh, not to ruin the magic of uh, of, of podcasting, magic. but uh, when is this going out? Magic one of two point nine. We're, we're aiming. <laughs> we're aiming for uh, like June twenty seventeen or so. Um, <laughs> we're just looking for like a, a a podcast host. Yeah, and um, some dickheads like doing our logo. Oh, uh, so you know. Oh, I wanted to bring that up, Jason. That guy. Uh, we what haven't talked. <laughs> Tristan, we oh, haven't, you haven't talked. talked about that yet. That's great. <laughs> how much? How much do you love that proof? <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, of course. I didn't. Ha- I had no doubts. I had listeners, no doubts about it. Listeners, Jason is making our artwork for this podcast, and we're so psyched about it. So yeah. by now, it's 2017, yep. uh, June. Trump is president, mm-hmm. and I. You'll be looking on your phone at the artwork for this podcast, and, and I drew it. Yeah, and Tristan and I no longer look like that. No, I mean they're it's way fatter. Aged. We're fat. Yeah, right. Tristan's a uh, well. Speak for yourself. I've really, I've really bulked up. We you have know, mustaches I, now. I we don't a, have beards anymore. We I had a mustaches. health scare at one point, and I just decided, you know what? It's time to stop just eating cream cheese for breakfast. <laughs> that, that <might> be, <laughs> I just bulked up big time. You it's wish. It's amazing the transfer transformation, guys. What's incredible is you're the most popular podcast on iTunes yeah. because by decree of Lord uh, Fuhrer Trump, 
Everyone except redheads have been exterminated by now. Yes. Oh, shit. So, uh, yeah, only gingers rule the world. I'm so, like so, I'm so Well, you might survive because you do a comic strip about a redhead. Right. So. Yeah. Um, but he's, I mean, is he like wealthy? A stay of execution. Because that's, uh, I don't know. Ah, no. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> You're, you're in trouble, buddy. Yeah. So I, I got to get to a show in yeah. Brooklyn. Uh, oh boy. I Tristan, I'm not opposed to saying goodnight, and then you guys, you can have a conversation about me about behind you. my back yeah. or or continue down this Louis C.K. nerd hole you're headed down. <laughs> this is like uh, this is like when like you're having a threesome, and then she's like, I got to go, but you guys, <laughs> you guys jerk you guys each other off. It's just like that, that everyday thing that everyone can relate yeah. to. Actually, I've never had a threesome, so I can't <laughs> can't speak to that. You haven't had a threesome? Oh no, your your in laws might look this up. I don't. Worry. Right, right. <laughs> We're working toward it. We're, working. <laughs> We're trying to find a third. A lot of Cra- a lot of Craigslist dates. Yeah. Um. All right. Well. Um. I mean, maybe we'll maybe we'll maybe just for shits and giggles, we'll do another ten or something. Yeah. Right yeah, yeah. Up. yeah. Uh. Can you? Can I just leave my stuff here and you bring it to me? Yeah. On on Thursday. Yeah, sure can. Uh, Man, this is like the behind the scenes process on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does anybody else have a podcast like this? I have a satchel. Uh, <laughs> the cat's gonna take head, over headphones. Yeah. Yeah. Can you pass me that backpack? Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Just pass it over the hot sauce collection on Tristan's coffee table. Patrick's leaving us now. Bye, guys. Yeah, bye, bye, Patrick. Guys. Have, have fun in great, Brooklyn. Have a great podcast. Hey, oh, thanks, buddy. I'm the new co-host of this show. <laughs> Welcome back to our podcast. Uh, the uh, <laughs> oh, Jason and T Dog, J and T, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back, J and T Liquor. <laughs> oh, that would make a good podcast. Just us getting drunk for an hour. Oh, uh, Patrick can't get out. Uh, that a what now? Patrick's knob. Oh, the not and Patrick's dick fell off as he was uh, walking out, um, which is really unfortunate because uh, you know, from what I understand, it was a beaut. It was a beaut. It is a beaut. It was a great knob. It's really sad that it's off now. <clears throat> You're pointing to that license plate. I'm pointing to a license plate in the wall because it says New Jersey Garden State. And what does it say, Tristan? Oink with. Three O's. Um, that is that is the license plate of my late grandmother. Oh, um, she was a uh, she was a pig lover, and she would um, she actually got a car at one point that was red and had like like side view mirrors that stuck out and it looked like a pig. Like she, I think That's she specifically hilarious. bought the car because it looked like a pig. Of course she did. And uh, then she put that license plate on it. That's a really nice thing to have. Of her, in her memory, because that's a really funny thing as Oh, well. the nice thing that she would do as well is every car that she had, you know how they have the little emblems on the front of the car? Yeah. She would have the emblem taken off, and then she had, like, a, her own custom pig emblem. Like, it was like a statue, like a little pewter statue of a like pig. Like a Mustang. That she would, yeah, that right. she would have attached to the front that's of her, all of her cars. I really wish I met your grandma. Oh, she was amazing. She sounds amazing. I actually have um, audio recordings um, of her. Really? And uh it's yeah, and it's pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. Was she was she funny? Like did she have she a was comedic so, she was so funny. Is that where you think you got your funny from? <clears throat> maybe. Yeah. I mean, she used to uh we'd go out to a restaurant and you know, mind you, she's in her eighties. Right. And um the the waiter would come over and be like, How are you guys today? How are you doing? She's like, I'm good. Would you like to see my pussy? <laughs> and 
the guy was like, oh, what, excuse me? And she's like, I just had him shaved. And then she would pull out a picture of her Persian with that like is a lion cut. Zsa Zsa Gabor and uh, Johnny Carson. That's how funny that is. That's oh, yeah. so great. She was great. She ha- she brought her cat onto the, the set when he was interviewing her. And he went, she, she's like, oh, would you like to stroke my pussy? <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, boy. And the crowd went crazy. He's like, well, yeah, but you're going to have to get rid of that cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest. I love an old lady making a pussy joke. It's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. I had a cat for 14 years. I like cats. I'm a cat guy. I mean, I love dogs. I go I go and watch the dogs in the park every weekend at Tompkins Square Park, but I like cats a lot. I love, I love like, cats. now that Patrick's gone, we're like, I, I, I love cats. <laughs> I love cats. Oh, I love dogs. Y'all now, if you like cats. <laughs> or if you're a dog person, text. Guys, call it right now for 888-999-2222 if you like cats. You're some wings. Actually, Patrick and I, we've worked out a system. If anybody wants to submit to the podcast, they can just write something on a piece of paper uh, folded up into a, like a paper airplane, just tossed out their window, and it'll get to us right now. Perfect. And then we can just read it live. You heard it here, folks. We, while Do we're it. recording the podcast. Do it right now. Oh, here's one now. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, what does that one say? It says, uh, 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 Jason is a little girl. Okay, um, well, with, that came with, from the with floor with above. tiny so. horse feet. With tiny horse feet, evidently. All right. Well, yeah. okay, that's that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll work on, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Is that a bad thing? I, you know, I couldn't tell you. I didn't write the note, so. Identity politics being what they are, I'm proud of my. Proud of your horse feet. Girly horse feet. That's good. Uh, that's a good turn. Anyway, uh, (laughs) I, here's something I enjoy. I enjoy hosting with you, uh, doing stand up. Likewise. Uh, because we have different comedic uh voices but similar comedic sensibilities you find the same things funny um for instance i think when we hosted a couple of weeks ago one of the greatest things i think i've ever seen was you reading verbatim a review of yourself straight off of bad slava which is an open mic comedy website where people review open mic comedy um you know what i found is um Comedy is not therapy, but it can definitely be therapeutic. Yeah. So I, on, on stage, I'm kind of a like a little bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, I'm actually like pretty sensitive, and I get pretty upset. Right. I don't like when people don't like me, and I get upset if if I've offended somebody sure. or or any of that kind of thing. So, um, so actually, this review like hurt my feelings that somebody was that like right. didn't like me that much. Took the effort to yeah. They not only took the effort, but they wrote. A review that specifically was like he should be fired from right. ever hosting. Requested action. Just be really taken, nasty, right. and he could have talked to me at mm-hmm. the time that it happened. And he didn't do that, and and uh, people but, do that though. They hide behind. Right, yeah, there's a cowardice in that. And I saw it like I saw it like months after the fact. Yeah, but it still was like fresh, like it just like had it just yeah. happened. Sure. And so it was more fun to just kind of. Uh, take the sting out of it by just hey, let me share this with everybody. I have to admit that's what the reason I raise it is because that's what I really enjoyed about it was that you didn't walk around with it like a wound. You brought it out into the light. People really enjoyed you revealing it, even if it was if it, even if it did hurt. You brought it on stage and made it really funny. 
And that's something I think, uh, to me, that's like my favorite thing to do is to find something really difficult well, I also you know, think to admit about yourself and then make it a bit, make it funny. I think people love like realness, you know? Yeah. Well, they can tell. They can tell. Yeah. And if you, so for that, it's like I didn't, I had to do very little mm-hmm. besides just read the thing Yeah. and for people to be like, you know, connecting with it. Yeah. Because I mean, if you concede nothing, you're really not, there's nothing funny. You're, you, you can't, you can't get out of any of that sort of stuff. Coming off looking like a great person. I mean, comedy, you shouldn't really get off stage looking like a king. I mean, no. You should be able to concede uh, although, at least something. I, although I was talking to everything. a friend the other day, or actually yesterday, about um, this, and he was saying that he feels like for comedy to work, you have to um, kind of deface yourself. I, that's concave comedy. But yeah, and I don't think that you have because if you look at somebody like Anthony Jeselnik or right. Tosh, like those guys are they're um, you know tall, handsome right. uh, guys that 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 come from this place of like guys, I'm super awesome, and everything I say is totally funny. And if you don't laugh at it, you're the idiot. If you really break it down though, mm-hmm. and this same goes for Jim Jeffries, they are still the butt of the joke because they're the ones saying it and taking the heat for it so by saying something that people may well think but don't say they're the clown saying the thing i would say that's more true with jim jeffries because he is he has the confident air yeah but he also will take the hit so to speak yeah but i mean you look at like anthony jeselnik like he has yeah he he stalks the stage like a shark yeah and he has addressed um he has addressed like you know critics in some of his specials, yeah, but in a way that's just like I'm t- totally right, yeah, and you guys are idiots, yeah. I mean, he he ends yeah, the, one of his specials ends with like, um, if you want to, you know, I'll die for my art, but if if somebody threatens my family, if you dare threaten my family, even, even better. better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he closes. With uh, that. Yeah, yeah, that's like yeah. one of his closing. I'm sure I butchered the shit out of it, but it's that was about a, that New Zealand shark attack guy. What's that? The New Zealand shark attack victim. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Because like the whole country, like the whole country was mad. At they saw, yeah, they saw something from his show about a shark attack victim that he kind of made light of. Yeah. And then people started threatening, and it was months before they saw it. They saw it on the internet months, months after it aired, and people threatened him and his family. Should anybody be worried about um, New Zealand threats? <laughs> it's that far away. I mean, if you, if anything, they can only hurt your knees. And shins, yeah, because they're so short. But uh, they, really, you should. <laughs> they're very far away. That's twenty-four any, hours. Do you have any? Uh, do they? Do they? Do they? Uh, they consume ginger megs. They do. They oh. do. The New Zealand Herald runs. Better it. be careful. I know. I don't want to offend a giant New Zealand uh, <laughs> listenership. Which you know, this show's huge in New Zealand. I know that. Not big here. This podcast huge in Wellington and Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. Uh, there, so that concave versus convex comedy thing. Not to get too technical, but I prefer to think of myself as a concave comedian, where I'm making fun of myself and seeming like a bit of a dick. Uh, you know, a bit of a bit of a, 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 a louse. But then convex comedy, where it really hits other people. Other people are the butt of the joke, and hey, let's all point at someone else and laugh at another person. That can be – that's really hard to make work consistently, I think. Like, for instance, even Don Rickles when he was doing roasts and, like, even, like, roasting the president, yep. he was still the butt of the joke by being the the guy dancing on the high wire 
in front of everyone. He was still the clown. Yeah. Even though he was directing jibes, there weren't acerbic, really hard-hitting jibes. There were there were jokes, you know, and he was still the butt of pretty much all of them at the end of the day by making fun of the president and the head of the FBI <laughs> well, on I, TV. I know. definitely do the – I d- definitely make fun of myself in yeah. my comedy. yeah. And and you do to a certain extent as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, I want to I want to um, get back a little bit because we started this way and we only got a little bit more time here. Sure. Um, on the on the comic strip front. Yeah. Because um, I'm curious a couple couple things. So it's interesting in in two ways. Like one, I wonder if um, like to be successful at something like that in that in that field in that creative field. Is is comedy for you like like stand up comedy? Is that just an extension, or is that like the next the next phase of your life? Or like how do you look at that? And then also in a, a kind of a two part question, like is there any part of you that's bashful or or uh, that's like doesn't like talking about like the comic strip in the context of stand up comedy? Like when you're talking to people in stand up comedy, or like because mm. sometimes I feel like there's almost maybe a reluctance for you to like bring it up as a thing that you do. Yeah, I, I mean. There's a lot of comedians who don't like talking about their day job because they don't like to admit that comedy isn't their full-time job. And I, I'm, I fall in that category. Sure, but it's just a fact of life that unless you've got something else, until you hit a certain point in comedy, you have to have something else to 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 you know yeah. fund living. You know, um, and even then, once you do get on onto like a, a a paid kind of life as a comedian, it's very tough to stay there. You know, you got to sell merch you've got to do writing gigs you've got to do corporate gigs you've got to do the road you've got to do all sorts of stuff to stay afloat um you've got to sell merch uh so i guess the reason if if there is a reluctance it's that they're two different disciplines and they're two different facets of what i do comedy isn't really a daytime thing unless you're writing it's not really it's more it's a nighttime thing sure so during the day i do my cartooning bruce wayne yep and comedy is a nighttime thing. And as soon as the sun goes down, I'm out doing shows and mics and stuff as Batman. I do. There is a duality of Batman. things there. Um, so it is that there is a, uh, a disconnect between the two in that sense. But the thing is, uh, cartooning is, has the great thrill of anonymity to it. So you can make jokes and make people laugh. The payoff is no one knows what you look like or who you are, and if you so, bomb, you, you're Batman. You don't want anybody to know about your your alter ego is the billionaire Bruce Wayne. Not necessarily the successful billionaire <laughs> Bruce not Wayne. Necessarily, but that's a funny take on it. Uh, but say, for instance, <clears throat> you've got a Wiley Miller comic strip on your wall. I do. You would not be able to identify him in the street, but you would be able to identify anything he's done. Right. Uh, and enjoy his work. I mean, it, it makes you laugh. You've you've stuck it on a wall. Um, I only really ever hear back from people if they hate something, if they feel compelled to write to the newspaper or write through the website to say, oh, I really hated this or I didn't like this strip or whatever. I don't get to hear the laugh at the other end. So that's right. the payoff. You You put it out there into the ether and you never hear the laugh, but people never get have to see your face or know who you but are. But you do get the complaint letters. Oh, you get the complaint letters, yeah. Do you ever get, like, fan, le- fan mail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get fan letters, yeah. yeah. Um, but people feel more compelled to write about things they don't like than things they do like. Any, any like, you ever have any chicks be like, I really like your comic strip. Here's 
a picture of my tits. That happened one time. One time. <laughs> 2007, <laughs> that happened. One time. <laughs> like, two, there was a September. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, I remember because it's the only time yeah. it will ever happen. The leaves were, 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 were falling early that year, <laughs> and the air had like a quality to it that was sweet. And <laughs> there, is a nice, there is a nice thing that's happening now, which I'm enjoying, which is... For instance, your podcast uh, artwork is where I'm able to combine comedy and cartooning. Like I, in 2013, I started uh, this show. Well, I started working, doing these shows. I did 25 shows in 25 days. Something called Picture This, which is where comedians get up on stage and there's a projector behind them. And at the back of the room, there's a cartoonist drawing everything they're yeah. talking about. And they can interact with it and improvise. And it's better if they do improvise with it. Um, and that's the perfect combination of my cartooning and comedy because I was hosting the show and then I'd run back and I would uh, draw. And I, I'm doing those shows now again in, in Brooklyn there every month. Um, and they're in LA as well now. So they've kind of grown pretty, pretty big. Uh, so when I'm able to do that stuff, that's great because it's both my passions in the one thing. Also doing show posters. I love doing show posters. I'm get paid to do draw, drawing stuff that I like, um, you know, of comedians I like as well. So that's that's really fun. Um, so there is a state now where it's starting to cross over, but uh, they are two distinctly different personas. In fact, I, I have to have two separate pages on Facebook for Jason Chatfield cartoonist and Jason Chatfield comedian because yeah. they're different audiences. Yep. I have different audiences, and, and that's just that just comes by virtue of the fact that one of my jobs is The ginger make is crowd's not going to like your couscous joke. Certainly not. Well, they might. <laughs> it depends if they <laughs> couscous. Show me your couscous. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so they, they're different audiences. You have to separate out those personas from a professional standpoint. I mean, I'm not sure how happy the um, trademark holders of Ginger Megs would be if they saw me writing in the strip what I write on stage. No, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> and vice versa. It would be silly to get up on stage and talk about... It's very cool that you get that outlet, stuff. though. Yeah, no, it is great. I really like it. And so you're going to San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con? Yeah, this is the second one for me. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, shows coming up, uh, like comedy-wise? Sure. Even uh, though... By the time that that people hear this, they'll yeah. probably already be passed. But just to show, like, that you're doing things. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I the probably the biggest one that I I would like anyone who's listening to this who's interested to see me do comedy, or if you'd like to, I am doing the Broadway Comedy Club on the thirtieth of July. It's a Saturday, and I really do need people to come along to that one. Uh, so that what that's time, great. what time is it? It's eight o'clock. I know, sorry, mm. what am I saying? It's like, I think it's like 6.30 or 7 o'clock. It's like an early show, but in the main room, um, you can go to jasonchatfieldcomedy.com to see all the dates and times and all that sort of crap. Okay, great. Uh, but uh, yeah, that'd be great if you want to see. Any other any other things that people can check out like on a long term? You have a Twitter feed, anything like that? Any yep, yep. I'm Jason underscore Chatfield on Twitter because at Jason Chatfield is taken by a guy who isn't using it. Uh, and I keep bugging him for it, but no. They never, they'll never give it up. And I'm on Instagram is at Jason Chatfield. But uh, jasonchatfield.com is my cartooning stuff. Jasonchatfieldcomedy.com is my comedy stuff. So that's that's all my plugs. Well, thanks for coming, Jason. Thanks for having me, boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I even put the cat <clears throat> to sleep. We put the cat to sleep. Cat's, <laughs> cat's sleeping. Uh, this has been uh, Sweet Tea. And uh, Sweepy is, has left. Uh, but, uh, you know, we love all you guys. Uh, please 
Send in comments and uh, suggestions via a paper airplane. Uh, thanks for coming again, Jason. Thanks for having me, pals. All right.